Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Before we roll the audio on this PFT Live podcast, we want you to know that Mike Florio does an afternoon podcast. Why? To catch all the late-breaking news and developing stories in the NFL, of course. So you got to subscribe to PFT PM as well. Go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Art19, or Google Play. Search PFT PM and subscribe. Boom. Done. Thanks for the support. Now, stats. Another hour of the PFT Live podcast. It's a Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN. Hello to our good friends in the UK and in Ireland. Enjoying the program on Sky Sports. Peter King is in. Chris Sims is out. He will be with me in Indianapolis Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I just assume he's pacing himself because he can't handle the stress of four hours live the next three days, which is what will be. He's very gentle. He's very delicate. He needs his sleep. He needs his rest. He's still he's still recovering from vacation, so we can't expect too much from him. So Peter's joining us today, Peter. And you're heading to Indianapolis. Vacation. Well, we established last week. I don't know if you saw it. He's the only person who can go to Turks and Caicos for a week and come back without a tan. And he insisted he was tan, and we busted him with a before and after. <laughs> and he looks exactly the same after coming back from a tropical vacation. All right, but uh, definitely not a tropical spot this week, but Indianapolis, site of the scouting combine. It's been there for decades. It may not be there for much longer. And let me just wedge that in out of the blue. Jim Ursay had a press conference yesterday, Peter, that I think was intended to do one thing publicly stumped to keep the Indianapolis scouting combine where it is. He's one of the only ones who hasn't gotten the memo. And you may have heard differently than me, but I have a very clear sense. It's just a matter of time before this thing goes to LA. How about you? I think so too. I think it'll be in LA by 2022. Um, And to the chagrin of almost everybody who, who uh, uses the combine for work purposes or for fun purposes, but To me, Mike, I think one of the things that people need to understand, if you haven't been to Indianapolis very much, it's the only place I go to for multiple days and never rent a car because you can stay anywhere downtown and walk anywhere downtown. It is the greatest downtown in America. 
in terms of convenience and in terms of having everything you need there. So, and you go to LA and it's a great big freeway and everybody's going to need to, you know, get in cars and go do all that stuff. I can tell you NFL people for convenience sake would are, are just dying that this place is that the combine is not going to be in Indianapolis anymore. And, you know, somebody explained to me recently the NFL is going to wake up one day and realize the Pandora's box that it's open by trying to make the Combine something it isn't. It's one thing to take the draft city to city and make it a big deal because ultimately it's it's not a huge operation that 32 teams have along with the draft, right? They All of the key decision makers are back at the main facilities figuring out who they're going to take. But when you also have the coaches, the GMs, when you have your scouts there, assistant coaches, et cetera, and you throw that inconvenience of moving from point A to point B onto them, when it is extremely convenient in Indianapolis to get to everywhere you need to go, that's when you start to lose some of the, the value. And, and we lose sight of what this thing's really about, but the NFL is determined to make this thing into a primetime event. And Peter, I think eventually they're going to fill up that new stadium in LA with people there watching the workouts. And uh, they're just going to continue to, to stoke this fire and make it larger and larger and larger each and every year. Mike, if you can, if you consider that what's going to happen on the campus of this SoFi stadium in, in Los Angeles, a few miles from LAX, if you consider what's going to be on that campus, just think of two additional things. Not only are you going to have a state-of-the-art stadium, which in the middle of February, you probably are going to be able to have a lot of your workouts outside in this stadium. But also consider this, that on that same campus is going to be all the facilities of NFL Network, NFL.com, NFL Media. And what that means is that this is going to be a gigantic television show for this entire complex. Players appearing here, players appearing there. Coaches interviewing the players at the hotel on site. You know, this is going to be something that the NFL is doing to better and to help the two teams in Los Angeles and to get a foothold in Los Angeles so at future things like NFL honors, when you have the red carpet, well, you're going to really have a red carpet in Hollywood. And that is what they're trying to create in Los Angeles. And to them, the scouting combine is just another event. Yep. And it's just a matter of time before it is in L.A. That stadium opens later this year for the Chargers and for the Rams. And speaking of the Colts and their owner, Jim Arcee, who would desperately love to keep the combine in Indianapolis, other topics that came up when he met with the media on Sunday – the quarterback position. Now, he was smart to not mention any quarterbacks currently under contract with other teams. All of that tampering will happen away from microphones and cameras this week in Indianapolis. But he made it clear that all options are on the table for the Colts quarterback position in 2020. They've got Jacoby Brissett under contract. they got Brian Hoyer under contract. Brissett's contract isn't so significant that they couldn't go out and sign someone to a close-to-market-value deal if that's what they want to do. But, Peter, this is the year. Hey, if you're ever going to be looking for a quarterback in free agency, this is the year to do it. And think of how the Colts have lucked out. 1998, Peyton Manning, here comes a generational talent. They get him with the first overall pick. 2012, another generational talent, although he didn't choose to play for a full generation, Andrew Luck. And now, in their first draft after Luck retires, in their first offseason after Luck retires, they need a quarterback, 
and there's all these options available in free agency. I mean, three straight times now when they've been in urgent need for a quarterback, they've had a path to getting one. This one, though, is going to be more of a challenge because you got to pick the right one, and you better hope that he wants you, and you better hope it all works out. See, I don't think this is the time for them to take a generational quarterback. I think because when you pick, where, where are they picking? 12? I'm not, not saying draft. No, no, no. No, yeah. no. Right. I'm saying in free but, agency, they can address their quarterback right. urgency. It, and yeah. it may be a guy who's, if they get Ryan Tannehill, he could be there for another seven or 10 years. No, no question. But I think what they're more likely to do, I, I, I cannot believe the Tennessee Titans would not re-sign Ryan Tannehill. I just, I don't know why. I can't believe it. Mike, he, he had 117 rating. He played 15 games. This was not a cameo appearance. He basically saved their season. But but we'll, we'll talk about that another time. My whole thing is, for the Indianapolis Colts, at this moment, at this time, the guy for them is Phillip Rivers. I believe they're going to pursue Phillip Rivers, try to sign Phillip Rivers, and I believe Phillip Rivers will want the Indianapolis Colts for two big reasons. Number one, they're a quarterback away from winning. You know, if the Tennessee Titans won as big as the Titans did this year, there is no reason why the Indianapolis Colts can't be that team in that division next year. And number two, Phillip Rivers wants, he wants to be a short-termer. He wants to be one or two years. So that is perfect for the Colts because by the end of next year, by the end of 2020, they're going to know if Jacoby Brissett has longer than just a cameo future with them. And then they're going to be able to head into 2021 draft and know we have to get a quarterback. Let me say something about Tannehill. I think the hesitation comes from a dynamic we've seen play out with other players in the past. You give a guy a big contract and things may change. And with Tannehill, there were injury issues earlier in his career. This year, it was nothing to lose. Come out, play hard. He became the starter after they they uh, struggled to a two and four start and Mariota got benched. And, and it all worked. The planets lined up. The question is, do the planets stay lined up for Ryan Tannehill or do they go back into disarray like they were the first several years of his career? And if you're going to make a 25 to $30 million a year or more investment in Ryan Tannehill, you're taking a hell of a risk. And for the Colts, look, that's why I think Phillip Rivers does make sense. It is very short term. He has said himself he wants to play a maximum of two more years. They do need to have a plan beyond that, but at least they have a plan for now that is better potentially than Jacoby Brissett. Although Frank Reich, and he may, maybe he's just being nice and he's supporting his guy. At the end of the season, Frank Reich made it clear he's all in with Brissett. Chris Ballard, the GM of the team, has been more equivocal than that. But it's it's uh, it's clear that they're at least going to see what's out there in this crazy game of musical chairs where I still don't know, are there more butts than seats or more seats than butts when the music stops? Well, I mean, we could talk about Jameis Winston for that. I mean, I had a note in my column this week that, you know, I would just love to see Jameis Winston back up Ben Roethlisberger this year. Jameis Winston, I doubt sincerely, is going to start for somebody on opening day in 2020. Now, I shouldn't say doubt sincerely. I doubt. But, and, and that's why I would like to see a guy like Jameis Winston not necessarily look in 2020 where can I go and play the most games in 2020? Where can I go and it be the best situation? Wouldn't you love to be the heir to Ben Roethlisberger and to play for Mike Tomlin, to play with that defense? How great a situation would that be for a quarterback? 
and he gets to learn the Steelers culture and hopefully he gets to turn the ball over less, you know, and again, there's no guarantee on that, but that's why Mike, when you say are there more butts for seats or seats for butts, I believe there are many more butts than there are seats available. And that's why a guy like Jameis Winston, who I'm sure is thinking, well, I'll be starting somewhere next year. He's going to have to think again once this process starts, if, as I assume, the Bucks go after either Teddy Bridgewater or somebody else. Unbelievable to think that a guy who had 5,109 passing yards is not going to be starting in 2020. We've already been down that rabbit hole a couple of weeks ago. Another point we need to make before we break, Derek Carr took to social media recently and created some speculation of a trade to the Bears. His big brother, David Carr, says that Derek Carr is simply trolling. And I think that it's even more than just trolling. I think Derek Carr is frustrated by all the talk about being supplanted with the Las Vegas Raiders. So he's trying to turn the tables a little bit and try to generate a narrative where he's going to be supplanting someone else. Now, I don't know how much of an upgrade he is over Mitchell Trubisky, although Bears fans seem to think that anybody at this point would be an upgrade over Mitchell Trubisky. But Derek Carr, I don't think at this point is going to be the Raiders quarterback week one uh, because Mike Mayock has said it multiple times over the course of the last year. They are constantly looking to upgrade. And last year, they kicked tires on Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins before the draft. This year, there are too many veterans out there. I think the only way that Carr comes back is if they go all in to get Tom Brady and all the other guys get gobbled up and they don't get Tom Brady, they're going to have to keep the bird in the hand for one more year, barring some development in the draft. But uh, I think that that is the most likely <clears throat> scenario that, that Derek Carr stays with the Raiders. Mike, I, I always say this. I've said it for probably 20 years about John Gruden. His favorite quarterback is the one he doesn't have. And so I don't necessarily think John Gruden wouldn't play 2020 with Derek Carr. But every year, every year, he is going to look for quarterbacks. He loves quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I think if he could, if he could have the best life, you know what he would do? For 50 weeks a year, he would be the coach and, and quasi-personnel guy, you know, of the Raiders. The other two weeks a year, you know what he'd do? John Gruden's quarterback camp. He would have the top six or eight quarterbacks every year sit in that dank room in Tampa with him or now in Vegas with him, and he would just grind for six or seven hours. He'd go out on the field and he'd watch him throw. He'd do all that. That is what Gruden loves. He is just smitten with quarterbacks. And so in my opinion, just my opinion, I think John Gruden has a wandering eye. He's going to look at the quarterback market this offseason. If he thinks he can do better, he's going to try. And I will be shocked. I've said it all along if they don't make a play for Tom Brady. Chris Sims has been one of those quarterbacks on the roster while John Gruden's eye wanders toward others. Yes. And we've established recently that John Gruden is a quarterback hoarder. Chris Sims uses a term that has one fewer syllable than that, and I have tried to convince him that the correct term is hoarder, not that word without the der. Uh, and uh, it's a work in progress, to say the least, to get Sims to understand what he means is hoarder, not the other word. Uh, we've had some fun with that, and we probably will this week in Indianapolis, where uh, it's a perfect you place know what if you're a quarterback. Mike, Mike, I'll tell you what you... I'll tell you what you have to do in Indianapolis this week. You got to stake out Gruden's press conference and get him to come on the set 
with Chris Sims. I want to see that. I demand to see John Gruden and Chris Sims on set. And by the way, Mike, you go to the men's room while they're on the air, okay? I just right. want to hear from Gruden and Sims. How great. Would that be must-see TV in the Florio household? Yeah, as long as you're not in there after having begun your prep for a certain procedure, I'll go to the men's room for that segment. Um, and, and you know, I, we, we've we tried to get Gruden with Sims, and he immediately makes that, you know, that face where he kind of scrunches up yeah, half of it. He's face. like, you know, that, yeah. and a couple of F words. Are you going to be nice to me or are you going to be negative? Are you going to be positive or are you going to be negative? It's like, all right, get the hell out of here if that's what you're going to do. We're going to get the hell out of here for a few minutes. When we return, how much leverage do the players have in the CBA talks? They may have more than they realize. We'll discuss that next right here on PFT Live. Check out Football Morning in America. Now there's Joe Burrow in the photo. And his hands have already measured at nine inches. Sound the alarm. Nine-inch hands. Small hands. Small hands <laughs> for Joe Burrow. Uh-oh. Sliding. Already sliding because of the nine-inch hands. You can see plenty in Football Morning in America from Peter King about the scouting combine, replay review for pass interference, and the CBA talks. And look, I try to make these as understandable as I can when we talk about it on this show, Peter. And one of the realities is if push comes to shove, the players have shown over the years that in a union setting where your <clears throat> ultimate <throat> nuclear option is to endure a lockout or stage a strike, they're not willing to do it. It's a unique industry. It's not like a factory that'll shut down for two or three weeks, and then you come back and you make up all that money by working overtime to fill the orders that weren't filled while you were on strike. Once those games are gone, once that money is lost, it's never coming back. And, and... Working in that factory is hardly the realization of a lifelong dream. Guys want to play football. So on the surface, players don't have a lot of leverage. But at a deeper well, level, yeah. they, they may have more than they realize, Peter. Well, give me your give me your thought on their leverage. But first, I'll just I'll just say I really agree with you about the first part of that for a very simple reason. I covered the last time that NFL players walked out and went on strike. It happened in 1987. You know, I was a 30-year-old New York Giants beat guy uh, for Newsday in New York. And what I'll never forget about that is Lawrence Taylor, who made a million dollars a year at that time, came, walked back in the door after missing two game checks. And he said something to the effect of, hey, $60,000 is a lot of money. And that was basically his game check every week. Now, Let's fast forward to today. I don't know what $60,000 is worth today, but all I can say is I think it's not worth $917,000. That's what J.J. Watt makes every week. You know, Von Miller makes $1 million a week in paragraph five salary. So in my opinion, that is one of the reasons why it's going to be hard to ever have a strike, not to mention the fact that because the average length of career is so short that even the low salary guys, 65% of the guys in the NFL make less than a million dollars a year in salary. So those guys, they're going to say, well, geez, my career is only two or three years. I don't want to sit out a year 
and lose a year of that earning power of making $670,000. That's more than I'm going to make in any year the rest of my life. So those are the reasons why you don't see the nuclear option. And this time around, the sense is that maybe it's different than 2011. Everyone believes that they don't get a deal done next year. They negotiate. If they don't finish it up, the owners will lock out the players again. This time around, though, a couple of points to consider. There's a lot of owners who are elderly and older and may not want to give up a season of football. Think Jerry Jones and his never-ending quest to get one more Super Bowl win in his lifetime. Does he want to sacrifice a full football season over the CBA talks where they should sit down and be able to get this all worked out like adults? Secondly, you got some teams with some significant debt service obligations with new stadiums like the Raiders and the Rams. Good luck paying off your stadium or even beginning the process of paying off your stadium if all of a sudden your football money disappears. I mean, as these franchises are worth more and more and more, their expenses go up, their debt goes up, they need the money. It's not as easy as it used to be to shut it down for a year. And I think that's one of the things the players need to consider. And I'm not advocating the nuclear option. I just think when everybody comes to the table, they can't just assume, well, when push comes to shove, the owners will lock out the players and the owners will take a full year of no football, but the players won't. I think it's more mutual of an aversion to having a year without football than people realize. I think it's a great point. That plus the fact that you're right, Jerry Jones, what is he, 77 years old? Jerry Jones, for him to go a season without football would be like a heroin addict without having his drug. <laughs> and I mean, it's just, you know, Jerry Jones needs the rhythm of the football season. It's what gives him life. Making money is really fun for him, but I'm just telling you, it gives him life. And he's not giving that up. Yeah, he ain't going to sell shoes for a year. Although, I don't know. Maybe he will. We got our draft coming up next on Monday's PFT Live. David Ayers from Zamboni Driver, an emergency goalie available to either team, the Maple Leafs or the Hurricanes, pressed into service as the goalie for the Hurricanes in Toronto on Saturday night. Gave up goals on his first two shots, but then became a stone wall helping the Hurricanes beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that inspires today's draft, Peter King, the most memorable emergency moments in NFL history. This is broad. It's as broad as we want it to be. We can look at any angle of any emergency situation, just in the memorable emergency moments all time. And you get the first pick if you get this trivia question right. The franchise tag window was supposed to open tomorrow, but has been pushed back to Thursday. Who was the first NFL quarterback to ever be given the franchise tag? The hint is that he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, let me see. Mike, I'm going to totally draw a blank on that one. I don't know the answer to that one. I would have done the same thing. It's Steve Young. Oh, Steve wow. Young. Yeah, I didn't even know he was ever franchise tag. So there we go. All right, for me, look, when I think emergency in the National Football League, I think back to the, the days of my early NFL fandom. I think of Thanksgiving. I think of the Cowboys. I think of Washington. And I think of Clint Longley. That was the first thing that came to mind when I yeah. saw the draft. It may not be the most popular first pick, but for me, that was the moment where I saw for the first time something that was completely unexpected, completely off script, and it worked. And Dallas came back to beat Washington on Thanksgiving when Clint Longley came in for Roger Staubach. And uh, eventually, 
it was I think Clint Longley beat up Roger Staubach, which resulted in Clint Longley not being in Dallas anymore. But uh, that is for that true. That's true. For that Thanksgiving day, he was the man. And I'll never forget. I never forget that throw to Drew Pearson. Uh, slightly more favorable outcome than the push off against the Vikings. Don't play it, control room. Do not play the Hail Mary throw to Drew Pearson against the Vikings in the 75 playoffs. You so that's know my they're going to play. Longley. You know they're going to play. They'll play find it, a way Mike. to play it. They're going to find yeah, a way to play it. Oh, yeah. God, there it is. There <laughs> Look, it is. Here we go. This is Man, a beautiful wish, play. Look I wish at this Roger show was ready. Look at it's the push. Beautiful. Look at the push. What technique? He didn't even was touch him. He breathed Look on at him. him. He what breathed is the, on I'm gonna, him. Nate, Nate Wright's technique is I'm going to dive forward and flail in the direction <laughs> away from the ball. That's great technique. All right. What's your first pick, Peter? My first pick has nothing to do with any sort of modern reality. But in 1969, Christopher Price, really good writer in Boston, wrote this in a book called The Blueprint. And it's one of my favorite NFL stories. It doesn't get nearly enough attention. The Patriots in training camp 1969 cut a defensive back from Notre Dame named Bob Gladjo. So Bob Gladjo came to one of the games early in 1969. And he, he parties with his, his friends before the game. He's out in the parking lot having beers. They walk into the stadium. It's about 20 minutes before the game. Public address announcer, would Bob Gladjo please report to the Patriots locker room? Bob Gladjo. So he gets up. He's half cocked. And he walks to the locker room and they say, hey, we just cut John Doe. We need you. Sign this contract. You're playing today. And his friends are saying, where's Bob? There's no cell phones in those days. And then they look out, and on the opening kickoff, Bob Gladjo is in uniform, <laughs> Patriots uniform, chasing down a kickoff with about 16 beers in his gut. And that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is the greatest story of some emergency player in NFL history. You can't top that, Florio. You know you can't, I can't top it. I, I I never heard of Bob Gladjo before today. That uh, that is definitely an emergency moment. Does your flight back from Vince Young's pro day count as an emergency moment? I guess we could make I could make that my second pick. I'd never thought of that. This isn't part of a bit. This isn't shtick. I'm just realizing that would definitely count as an emergency. Mike, hey, listen. I knew I knew that day I had three hours. I knew I had three <laughs> hours from the time I started the colonoscopy prep. To the first time, because I this was going to be my second time doing this. This was go. I had three hours. The flight was going to be three hours. I just didn't count on a storm around Newark International Airport and us having to circle for 45 minutes. That is where it got very tricky. Yeah, yeah the storm lighter hitting the terminal too in a very different way. All right, <laughs> next pick for me, and and this. This is kind of an emergency, kind of. Uh, I, I like it, though. I think of just unusual things that happened. It's when, uh, and it, this is the Patriots again, when they sent the snowplow out to clear a path. I mean, that's an emergency. We're not going to be able to kick a field goal. It's an emergency. They sent the snowplow out. Don Shula loses his mind, and the Patriots kick the field goal, and they win the game. And they're right on cue. See, I, I endorse highlights like this control room, not the Hail Mary play. <laughs> there comes the snowplow. Wasn't that guy a, a, a convict on work release? Wasn't that, wasn't that his story? That's yeah. what he and was. Just up, John makes Smith the left was turn, his name. Makes yep. the left turn, creates the spot, and there's the field goal, and the Patriots win the game. Don Shula awesome, was awesome. not happy. No, not happy at all. <laughs> 
All, All right, right, Mike, I got up. a good Round one. Round two. Okay? 1987. It's a strike game. It's the New York Giants' third strike game. It's the Giants against the Buffalo Bills. Jeff Rutledge has crossed the picket line for the Giants. Lawrence Taylor has crossed the picket line for the Giants. So they go to Buffalo with just a bunch of schmoes playing. And in that game, the Buffalo Bills tackle, who's right across the, the line from Lawrence Taylor, the great Lawrence Taylor, is a truck driver from Illinois named Joe Schultz. And that day, Joe Schultz got seven penalties against him for doing various things to Lawrence Taylor. And at the end of the game, toward the end of the game, Taylor and Joe Schultz are rolling around on the ground and Taylor tries to gouge Joe Schultz's eyes out. And he puts his fist, he tries to put his fist through the helmet. But Joe Schultz has been playing World Wrestling Federation against this guy all day. <laughs> and so he, and, and you know, Joe Schultz got the last laugh. He was back in Illinois being a truck driver the next week, but he can always say, I handled Lawrence Taylor because the Buffalo Bills won that scintillating football game six to three. I, uh, I, th this next one for me is one that I can personally attest to because I was there when it happened. When I look, I keep looking at the title of the draft, the most memorable emergency moments in NFL history. Super Bowl 47, early in the second half, the biggest game of the year, and the lights go out in the Superdome. And there was a period of time where no one knew what the hell was happening? And in the Superdome, the press box was basically stapled to the roof. We are as far away. Like, we're the last ones getting out. If there's a reason to get out of this place quickly, we are the last ones to get out. And Mike Silver, your former Sports Illustrated colleague now at NFL.com, just declares as loudly as he can, is this a terrorist attack? Which, of course, did nothing to calm down the people in the press box. But we had no idea. We had no idea. But the lights went out at the Super Bowl. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody from that Ravens team still throws out the idea that it was deliberate, aimed at taking the air out of the balloon for the Ravens and giving the 49ers a chance to come back. Ray Lewis has pushed that theory in the past. Uh, it's baloney. It's nonsense because it was definitely not a good development for the NFL. But you know what? The 49ers did come back and almost win the game during that extended second halftime that really no one was prepared for. And uh, it is definitely a memorable emergency moment. There were a lot of texts being sent. Where's my, you know, my family was at the game. It's, what do we do? How do we get out of here? What's going on? There, there was a, a, a period of two to five minutes where nobody really knew what was happening. So that is a memorable emergency moment for the NFL. I, I'm glad I'm blissfully unaware. And, you know, I, 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 I didn't think anything of that in the time. I just said, well, time to go get a hot dog. Um, you know, I don't know. I just, it didn't really bug me too much. My third one, Mike, is going to be that, you know, when, when the New Orleans Saints could not play football in the Superdome after Hurricane Katrina, that was, you know, the biggest franchise emergency moment I've ever seen. And the one thing I'll always remember about those emergency moments is where the Saints ended up playing. They ended up playing some in Baton Rouge, but they played most of their games in San Antonio. And in one of these games, Michael Vick came to San Antonio and he just beat the, the, the stuffing out of the, uh, you know, out of the uh, New Orleans Saints, you know, because he was still with the Falcons at the time. And what I'll always remember about after that game is that 
all the guys in the Falcons are sitting in their locker room and they're just shrugging their shoulders. Hey, hey, it's a normal fact of life. We had to play somewhere we've never been to before. So that emergency moment was memorable because to me, we all thought that the Saints were moving to San Antonio right around that time. So, hey, you better get used to your team. But luckily for them, luckily for the city of New Orleans, Paul Tagliabue stepped in and said the Saints are going nowhere. Yeah, you know, in, in a roundabout way, that that horrible disaster that was Katrina helped create the foundation for the Saints to stay put because Paul Tagliabue did insist after that that the Saints were going to be part of the rebuilding. The talk that had been rampant of a move to San Antonio ended, and from that moment they reopened the Dome with the Steve Gleason block punt that's memorialized with a statue outside of the Superdome now. Everything changed. The mood changed. The attitude changed. The vibe changed. The Saints that year made it to the NFC Championship. They would lose to the Bears. But three years after that, they win the Super Bowl. And the bond between Saints and New Orleans is infinitely stronger than it was pre-Katrina. Um, and and it's it, they're, they're never leaving New Orleans now. And I remember there were several years where it was almost a foregone conclusion that they were not long for New Orleans. All right, that's... Our draft. Uh, is that all three? That's all three rounds. I, you know, there were others that I thought about. I thought about the time Tony Dungy played emergency quarterback for the Steelers when he was a rookie. Oh, that's a good um, one. That's a good yeah, one. I, and and that, I mean, he, that was the only time he played quarterback in the NFL. He was the, the Big Ten passing leader in his final year, I think for two years at the University of Minnesota and uh, got a shot to play quarterback when the, the other guys went down in that game at Houston. Um, and then, you know, stuffy in games, like like the Immaculate Reception was technically an emergency moment, right? Wasn't it? I mean, I th- I kind of thought about that. And then I thought it was kind of like too low-hanging for like the David Tyree helmet catch. That's an emergency moment. I mean, game's on the line, season's on the line, and you make something happen. But I think it was more fun to come up with some of this other stuff. All right, let's take a break. We got more PFT Live still to come. We're wrapping up today before we head to Indianapolis for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's the draft Results, I've got Clint Longley playing in Thanksgiving back in the mid-70s, the Patriots snowplow game, the power failure at Super Bowl 47. Peters picks Bob Gladjo, who I'd never heard of, Joe Schultz <laughs> versus Lawrence Taylor, and the Hurricane Katrina forcing <laughs> New Orleans Saints to play anywhere but New nobody's Orleans. Nobody's going to vote for either one of us, season. Mike. No, Nobody's Bob, voting for us. Nobody cares. Bob Gladjo, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back with more right after this. There's about... 20, 25 people in this room, and none of them is Mike Florio because he has overslept. Can somebody get me a professional to work with? Shut up. I'm running the 40 of the combine. I'm running the 40 of the combine. I'm running the 40 of the combine. Look at that last one. Yeah, yeah there's a shock. <laughs> no wonder I'm... somebody's a head coach and the other one's working with you. Yeah, I, mean, uh, I still think the 22. I think there's a little inflation going on there. Give me your best sim story. <laughs> oh, man. I, I just, you know, this talented. Good-looking blonde lefty coming in there. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, Chris yeah. Sims. Not <laughs> but your bodyguard can kick the crap out of all the other bodyguards around their coach. Right he's from Jersey. Oh, played, that's played at the University top. of Maine. What up, Jersey? Migraine headache after practice. Yeah. Listening to that crowd noise. Thanks for being the first guy to swear on here. Besides, <laughs> oh, yeah, just saying. That was last year at the Scouting Combine. We will be back in the same spot, most likely, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, four hours live on NBCSN. Guests include Alabama receiver. Henry Ruggs, Georgia running back DeAndre Swift, Chiefs GM Brett Veach, the guy who discovered Patrick Mahomes, Mike McCarthy, the new Cowboys head coach, Zach Taylor, Bengals head coach, John Elway, GM of the Broncos, Bruce Arians, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Mike Vrabel, Titans head coach who took his team in only his second season on the job to the AFC 
championship. And there are 16 new drills that will be introduced to the position specific workouts and 10 existing drills will be eliminated. Defensive backs are going to see the most changes. More than 50% of their combine workout will feature new tests. I don't want to be overly cynical. I wonder how much of this is aimed at making it more compelling for TV, Peter, because they're always reluctant to change anything about the scouting combine because they want to be able to compare apples to apples to apples to apples over the course of 40 years. Change is very, very, very slow uh, for the scouting combine, if it ever happens. Is this part of the made-for-TV reality that is the scouting combine now? Mike, at the beginning of this, uh, at the beginning of your little screed there, I thought you said there's going to be 16 nude drills. And I just said, now that would make the combine some must-see TV. Well, Chris Jones had one of those. Yeah, on another note, um, I think the biggest things that happen here, and again, I used to laugh because I used to say Mike Mayock salivates at the three-cone drill. Okay, because I I think the most important ones in these and without, uh, you know, without, you know, overemphasizing what these things are, what they actually mean, the three cone drill where you have to go in one direction, the other direction, you have to do it real fast. That is the kind of thing that NFL scouts have looked at for years that without any pads on, they can see how quick you are. So if you're a pass rusher, it sort of simulates how you're going to have to get around the tackle or how you're going to have to squeeze through the guard tackle hole. So in my opinion, those are the kind of things that NFL scouts still look at a lot. For some reason, they're crazy about the 40s, even though for an offensive lineman, the only thing that really matters, honestly, is your 10-yard speed. Because, you know, how many times are you Joe Staley getting on the edge and running 40 yards downfield to block for Alex Smith. I mean, you and I are probably the only ones who really know what that is because it's just so rare that that happens. So I think a lot of this is just trying to refine the drills to make them more NFL real, quite honestly. And as I say every year at this time, a wise man once told me that when you run 40 yards in a straight line on a football field, it's only because something really good is happening or something really bad is happening. Other than that, you're never running 40 yards in a straight line during a football game. All right, the hand size measurements have begun for quarterbacks. Nine-inch hands for LSU quarterback Joe Burrow. we, We do this every year. We hear about it every year. I don't know how much it matters. I mean, there is correlation we've seen in the past, guys with small hands and fumbling. I remember Dante Culpepper, for as much of a giant as he was, he had small hands. He fumbled all the time. Dave Craig fumbled all the time. He had small hands. So there is a point where you have to question a guy's grip on the football. But, you know, this is just one of the things, one of the boxes we check every year when it's time to see how big guys' hands are, Peter. Yeah, and, you know, Jeff Duncan uh, of The Athletic just tweeted something after that saying, just remember, Drew Brees, who's six feet tall, uh, has hands that are whatever it was, 10 and a quarter. Um, I just... And again, good for Drew Brees that he's got big hands. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it matters. You know, what happened on the 600 snaps that um, there are however many that Joe Burrow went back to pass and threw the ball? Did he have a fumbling problem? Here's what I'd like to see. 
show me the statistics of Joe Burrow fumbling in the pocket or out of the pocket while he's trying to pass. Not when he's tucked the ball under and he's running. I want to know how many times of the 600 times he intended to pass where he got the ball knocked out of his hands. That, to me, is the only meaningful thing when it comes to hand size. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, some guys have the grip strength. It doesn't matter how big their hand is. They're going to hold on to the football. But, hey, this is part of the combine experience. It's how big your hands are, how fast you run in a straight line, running and jumping and doing all sorts of other things, the 225-pound bench press, all those events. They become a big deal for a week, and then they go back into the closet until next year. It's just part of the reality of the NFL offseason. This is one of the big tent poles. We pay too much attention to it for a week. And then we pay no attention to it whatsoever. We hope you pay attention to us Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. From the Scouting Combine, four hours of live coverage on NBCSN every day. And obviously, NBC Sports Radio for PFT Live. Peter, thanks for giving us a Monday. We'll see everybody back here, not here, but in Indy on Tuesday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.